version so that's why i'm recording this quick um segment today i'm doing the 2021 hall of fame class i'm going over the players that will be inducted this weekend some legendary players we have here on this list then we're gonna get right on into it but first off um if you're listening on audio platform on anchor spotify google podcasts you name it apple Podcasts, you'll find the link to the description and i'll put in my podcast description the link to my youtube and you guys will tune into that if you want to quickly look at the visual version or whatever and so forth same thing with the visual version here on youtube i'll put a link to my podcast link and i'll put it there as well and make sure if you haven't yet check out my website i made a website where i have my podcast on there and also sports blogs of other sports as well i'm gonna do tennis football basketball baseball hockey you name it i want to continue to separate myself continue to get better and bigger so that's what we're trying to do here and i hope you guys enjoy it. i'll leave a link to my website on both platforms my podcast on anchor and also here on YouTube. So you guys could check it out on the thumbnails and tell your friends about it. I want to continue to grow and get better. And subscribe. It's free. Like and comment on articles. I want to get y'all feedback. And I would love to know what you guys think. Uh, so, yeah. I'm going to get into the 2021 Hall of Fame class now. It's not star-studded as last year's lauded Hall of Fame class. that had three top 20 players of all time. The great late great Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and Kevin Garnett. But we do have... Some, still have some all-time greats. First off, I want to start off with Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce, ladies and gentlemen, the truth. The truth. That's his nickname that Shaq gave him in 01 when he dropped like 40, 50 points on the Lakers' head after in the Staples Center. And Paul Pierce went on to have a great career. He's given, he, he became NBA champion, finals MVP in 08, 10-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, one second team, three third teams, and he's one of 22 players with over an NBA history. NBA that's had thousands of players, over four or 5,000 players that have played in this league. One of only 22 with over 25,000 career points. That is crazy. You can disrespect it all you want. Since he's retired from the game, he's said controversial stuff on ESPN. He got fired from ESPN. He LeBron hater, this and that. But you got to respect this game at the end of the day. He's truly one of the best scorers we have ever seen in the league and one of the best to ever do it. Um, he was clutch as they come, whether it was that game winner on Al Harrington in the playoffs talking that trash, that 25-point comeback in the one of the most greatest comebacks in playoff, NBA playoff history against the Nets in 2002, led by him and Antoine Walker in that fourth quarter against the New Jersey Nets, led by Jason Kidd. That was crazy. That was They were down by 25 points, and they came back. Or you can even talk about the 08 Finals when he was just balling out, or even the 2008 Semifinals against LeBron James in that historic Game 7 performance when he dropped 48 points to LeBron's 44 in that Game 7 in Boston TD Garden. 
but he came up clutch, man. Diving on the ball, again, calling that timeout, and securing the game, man. He had clutch shot, clutch shot, mat uh, matching LeBron basket for basket, and that's what he was doing. Uh, Paul Pierce is definitely, for sure, first ballot Hall of Famer. He deserves to be in the, on this list, man. And congrats to him on making the Hall of Fame. I can't wait to hear his speech this weekend. He's definitely one of the funniest players ever. Even though he has some controversial stuff, he's definitely a funny guy and a guy I would love to hang out with. Um, Chris Webber. Number four member of the Fab Five. They changed the game, college landscape forever. They they pretty much, they optimized what college basketball is all about. He was the best member of that of that group. He, he, had, he had the best NBA career by far. I love Jalen Rose, great NBA analyst. Chris Webber had the best career, not even close. Five-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year winner in 1994, four, four, four NBA, no, five NBA teams, excuse me, one first team, three second teams, and three, and one third team. And he led the league in rebounding in 1999, and he led that, wherever he went, teams won. When he was on the Bullets, they were making the playoffs. The Warriors, they were making the playoffs. When he, and then when he, when he went to the Kings, this is when he really started winning, when he went to the West Conference Finals. That team led to the Kings 2002 West Conference Finals, had a chance to make the finals if it wasn't for freaking Tony Dunnagy, whatever his name is, that rigged the game and for the Lakers to go to the finals that year. Because those Kings teams were special. They had Mike Bibby, Peter Stoyakovich, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame. He was a tremendous shooter, 6'10", could shoot the lights out, had a handle, and he, he was an all-star a few times as well and has a championship and one of the greatest international players of all time. You had Doug Christie, a rugged defender. You had a lot of guys on that team. Bobby Jackson was good off the bench. Like you had some players on that team. Brad Miller, Chris Webber was the best player on that team, and he he revolutionized what the power forward position we see today. A guy who can handle the rock, a great playmaker. He will be probably the, by far the best passing big man in the game today. Probably no, probably the second behind Jokic. Let me not forget about Jokic. He'll probably be the second best passing big man in the game if he was playing today. He, he was that great. He really revolutionized powerful position in a golden era for power forwards that had Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, Rashid Wallace, him, like Mari Stoudemire. The list goes on and on for how many great power forwards were in the 2000s. Arguably the best position in the league at the time, along with shooting guards that had Kobe, AI, Vince Carter, T-Mac, and Dwayne Wade. But um, yeah, Chris Webber, man, member of the Fab Five. They changed the landscape of college basketball forever. Whoever be remembered remember for that, and I think they should definitely pay their dues to the Fat Five what they did for the game of college basketball and the Chris Webber. They need to retire his jersey and give that man his damn respect. I think he should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. It's long overdue. He, he was eligible since 2014, and they found, he finally gets in seven years later. They've been holding a grudge against him. I think it's kind of disrespectful that he gets in now, but it's better better late than never, right? So Chris Webber definitely deserves to get in the Hall of Fame, and I can't wait to hear his speech. Mm-hmm. Next up, I have Chris Bosh, two-time champion with the Miami Heat, the big three Miami Heat that changed the game forever in the NBA. That had Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. He was the third fiddle on that team. He was a tag role to their defense, protecting the rim. He hit three-pointers, spread the floor for them, for Dwayne Wade and LeBron to operate um, in the paint and making plays for others. And he had that big rebound in 2013, the kick out to Ray Allen. Everybody talks about Ray Allen hitting that shot. There's no Ray Allen shot. If Chris Bosh doesn't get that rebound, let's let's be real. If Chris Bosh doesn't get that rebound, that does not happen. And then he's going to lose that championship. And the Spurs, Tim Duncan will have six rings right now. It'll be 6-0 and like MJ. Chris Bosh, I, I know Ray Allen was integral to hitting that shot, but there's no shot if Chris Bosh doesn't get that damn rebound. 
That was probably the biggest play of his damn career. Like, first pass was a perennial 20 and 10 guy. I kind of find it surprised he only has one All NBA team for in his career. Um, but that I, when I look at them, like, okay, I forgot. Played in the greatest power forward ever, ever. Era that had Tim Duncan, Garnett, Weber, Nowitzki, like I said before. All those guys were, were ridiculous. And um, Chris Webber. Um, Chris, not Chris Webber. Warren Stoudemire, too. In his prime, ridiculous. He played five power forwards that all played in the same era as Chris Bosh. And then you had uh, other forwards that came in after him, like Blake Griffin and Kevin Durant. So he didn't really get a chance to make all-NBA teams like that. Like, all due respect, Chris Bosh, all those guys, except for probably Amar Stoudemire and Blake Griffin, are better than him. But he's still a great player. There's nothing wrong with that. All those guys are just upper echelon. They're Nowitzki, Garnett, Tim Duncan. Kevin Durant, like, those guys are just different, different unicorns. But, um, yeah, he's made some big plays in his career. It's, it sucks that his career got cut short due to blood clots in his lungs. Um, he only played 13 years in the league. He, he probably could have still played today because the way he could shoot the ball, he was he could definitely still play today. If he, given his health, he definitely could have still played today. But, yeah, salute to Chris Bosh, one member of the big three, finally getting the Hall of Fame. Salute, salute, man. Loved watching him play. Next up on us, we got Ben Wallace, former Detroit Pistons, member of the Bad Boys 2, of those Pistons teams in the 2000s that made four consecutive Eastern Conference Finals trips. Um, Four-time Defensive Player of the Year, tied for most in NBA history, along with the Kevin Mutombo. Um, Four-time All-Star, five All-NBA teams, um, three second teams and two third teams. Five-time All-Defensive first team, amazing. And one-time All-Defensive second team. He's one of the, by far one of the greatest shot blockers and defenders we have seen in NBA history. And he led the league in the rebounding twice. And he's an NBA champion. He was very integral to that Pistons team that made it to the finals in 04. He gave Shaq trouble to business. Maybe it's due to Shaq being out of shape at that time, but still, guarding Shaq is no easy feat. And that's what he did. Ben Wallace was 6'9", undersized for a center, but he was strong as hell. You guys need to go see his old photos. Biceps, that dude was strong as hell, man. He can His low post defense was astonishing how amazing it was. It was amazing. He can guard the best of them in the post and rebound with the best of them and defend at the rim at among the best that we've ever seen in league history. He wasn't the best offensive player, obviously. He only averaged under – he averaged literally under six points a game for his career, like five and a half points per game. But what he did on the defensive side of the ball and rebounding-wise – and what he, how he integrally was to his team for winning is what got him in the Hall of Fame. And they also made the finals in 2000, not 2000, well, yeah, 2005, excuse me. They lost to the Spurs against Tim Duncan, but the fact that he led his team to back-to-back -back finals appearances, that he was one of the best players on his team, along with Chauncey Billups, who should be in the Hall of Fame hopefully next year, along with Jamal Ginobili, um, speaks volumes to him. I think... He was the second best player on that team. I thought it was, I think it was Chauncey Billups first. I think he was the best player on those teams. Then him and then probably Whip, Rip Hamilton. Like Those guys were really, really good. Some people say they weren't superstars, but they definitely were Hall of Famers in my opinion. Especially Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups. So salute to Ben Wallace on getting to the Hall of Fame. Big Ben. Getting to some WNBA players now. We got Yolanda Griffith, 6'3 point guard. She was a WNBA champion for the Sacramento Monarchs in 05 and won the finals MVP. WNBA MVP. I, looked these, I was looking this up earlier on Wikipedia. Eight-time All-Star, five WNBA teams, three second and two first. 
um, two-time rebounding leader at 6'3". So she, 6'3 is pretty tall for a girl, so that's pretty good. And she was steadily twice in rebounding 1999 and 01 and was Defense Player of the Year in 1999. So salute to Yolanda Griffith on getting to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, the last player I think that's made the Hall of Fame is Lauren Jackson, another WNBA player, WNBA player. She has so many awards, and I was looking at her Wikipedia page. WNBL, like five-time WNBL MVP. The list of awards goes on and on, but I'm just going to stick to some WNBA for her because her list is GOAT level. Three-time WNBA MVP, two-time cha um, champion, three-time scoring champion, um, defensive player of the year in 07. She, she was something to behold. She was 6'5". She could shoot with the best of them. She could get to the rack, spin moves, all that, finish with both hands. She was a delight to watch. And salute to Lauren Jackson on getting to the Hall of Fame, man. All these guys, man, um, ladies and gents, yeah, uh, salute to all of them for um, achieving what every basketball player dreams of, man. Being, being decorated as one of the greatest to ever play the game and among the greats, so have your legacy last forever so salute to all these players on getting hall of fame and shout out to rick adelman um that coach who coached those kings team with chris weber when they won a lot of games those years during those runs and though and they're in that era salute to him he's getting the hall of fame and then bill russell as a coach is getting inducted into the hall of fame at, even though we all know the great player great bill russell is he was inducted to the hall of fame years ago so salute to him those guys as well on getting inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame. And salute to all these inductees. And I can't wait to hear all their speeches. So I hope you guys enjoyed this video. Make sure you subscribe um, below. Um, and look, check out those links, man. My podcast link. If you're listening on YouTube, check out the podcast link. I'll leave it in the thumbnail. And my website, I'll leave it in the thumbnail as well. Tell anyone you know who likes sports. Um, I'll have sports blogs and my podcast will be on there. So like and comment on articles. Subscribe. It's all free. I'm trying to grow my business. Hopefully one day I do make money from it. But I hope you guys really tune into that. If you listen to the audio version, make sure to check out the YouTube if you want to. Um, if you want to see the visual version of me talking about this segment, I'm only going to do a visual for this segment because I know basketball like that off the dome. I don't have to be doing research, really. Um, but, yeah, man. Um, and then I'll leave my website also on Anchor as well, audio platform. So you guys on Spotify, Apple, hopefully it'll be on there so you guys can tune in as well. So, But, yeah, I um, hope you guys enjoyed this segment of the podcast. And... I'll see y'all soon. So now let's get into more stuff. <clears throat> T.J. Watt, Pittsburgh Steelers All-Pro Defender. Excuse me. Um, signed a four-year, $112 million extension, according to the ESPN staffer at Brooke Pryor. After a contract negotiation that lasted, um, that lasted throughout training camp and into the first week of the regular season, Steelers and outside linebacker T.J. Watt broke from the traditions to come to terms on a mega deal this past Thursday. The 26-year-old All-Pro has signed a new five-year deal with the Steelers that was announced this past Friday. The new four-year extension is worth $112 million, $35 million in signing bonuses, and $80 million guaranteed over the next three years. Um, Watt overruled his agents who believe they could get more money on Thursday. Uh, they marched marching into the office of Steelers President Art Rooney II, telling him they had a deal according to Schefter. Watt then ex excused himself and announced that he had to go work out. Um, quote, this is a guy who was more than deserving of this contract. Steelers defensive captain Cam Hayward reported to ESPN on Thursday afternoon. It's great to know his future is here in Pittsburgh. The average annual value of $28 million per season makes Watt the highest current NFL paid defensive player. The former was Los Angeles 
Defensive end Joey Bosa, who had a five-year, $135 million extension, signed back in 2020, and he has $27 million average and $102 million guaranteed. So he passed him. And they're both tremendous players. While Steele also outpaces Chicago Bears outside linebacker Khalil Mack, who previously was the highest-paid player at the position with a six-year, $141 million contract signed back in 2018. Mack Steele averages $23.5 million annually and has $90 million guaranteed. Um, man, with the Steelers self-imposed contract deadline, the season opener nearing, negotiations pushed into week one as two sides work to find common ground on the contract guarantees. And the Steelers usually guarantee only the signing bonus, but not much else. And throughout the life of the contract, though, the Steelers will typically restructure and give more guaranteed money and security later on throughout his contract rather than initially. They want to see how he does, if he can stay healthy in the long run. If he can stay healthy and he's still producing at a very high level that he's been producing at the last few seasons, they will continue to raise his money. And T.J. Watt, he's arguably the best football player in the game right now, not just on defense, but in general, the great Ben Roethlisberger stated on Wednesday, um, I've been through negotiations here with contracts. One of the reasons I took less money was for guys like him to get paid, and he needs to get paid. He, he deserves every penny, penny that he wants and asks or T.J. Watt is that guy that should get whatever he wants. That's really high phrase from the Hall of Fame quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, man. Big Ben. You want If you get phrase from him, that's saying something. Um, Watts isn't the first member of his family to make a record-setting amount of money. His older brother, J.J. Watt, who's now with the Arizona Cardinals, signed a six-year, $100 million extension with the Texans back in 2014. And his brother, J.J. Watt, is a Hall of Fame bound. Injuries kind of derailed his career a little bit, but he's one, by far one of the greatest players that ever played the game. Um, his JJ's 51.8 million guarantee and a 60.6 million average were both records for the NFL defensive player at the time. But and his brother just one upped him, so that rivalry continues. <laughs> uh, while I finished second to the dynamite defensive player, um, that is Aaron Donald, the Los Angeles Ram, voting after his 15 sack campaign in 2020. He also added interception and two forced fumbles to go along with 53 total tackles. He has racked up double-digit sacks in each season beginning in 2018, subsequently, excuse me, recording 13, 14 and a half, and 15 sacks. His two forced fumbles in 2020 were his fewest since recording just one his rookie season. He has six in 2018 and eight, along with four, four fumble recoveries in 2019. He finished third in Defense Player of the Year voting to New England Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore and Arizona linebacker Chandler Jones in 2019. Um, Coach Mike Tomlin said TJ is visiting from another planet. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know what's wrong with my voice. To be quite honest with you, he said during the 2020 season, he has freakishly unique talent coupled with freakishly unique work habits and mindset and produces what you guys witness every week, which in my opinion is defense player of the year quality. Um, the Steelers parted ways with fellow outsider linebacker Bud Dupree in free agency, signaling that they were moving forward with Watt as their cornerstone of their defense and they plan to sign him to, sign him to a monster deal. This year, he'll anchor the defense, the left side of the pass rush, and be part of a rotation that includes former Chargers outside linebacker Melvin Ingram and second-year edge rusher Alex Highsmith. The Steelers dealt with a tight cap in 2020 and 2021 in part of Roethlisberger's contract, and they restructured his deal and released longtime right guard David DeCastro before camp, freeing up space to sign some veteran free agents and ink Watt to a mega deal. After this season, they'll be in a much different cap situation with Roethlisberger's contract voiding after the season and not giving them the space to sign Watt to this deal. So, yeah, congrats to T.J. Watt, man. Um, he'll make his debut as the highest-paid defense player alongside the rest of his team against the upstart Buffalo Bills, man. 
that are led by Josh Allen, the all-pro MVP candidate this season. That is Josh Allen that he'll be going up against. He's a two-time first-team all-pro, second-team all-pro, three-time pro bowler, led the league in sacks last season. Um, he won the Deacon Jones Award last year, which is the list, which is given to someone who led the regular season in sacks that for that year. So that's what he that's what he um accomplished. Um, AFC Defense Player of the Year last year. Um, he has 230 total career tackles for his career so far. 25 pass deflections, 17 forced fumbles. If he does this for like another five to six, seven years, he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Um, T.J. Watt, I don't think he's as good as his brother. Uh, his brother is something to behold, bro. Um, T.J. Watt, don't get me wrong. Maybe he can be better than his brother because he still has time. He's only 26. As long as he stays healthy, that's what it's all about. He stays healthy, sky's the limit, man. And we'll see what the Steelers do this season. They got a running back in Najee Harris. And then he was really good in college last year. If he could really make an impact in the running game, Steelers team that really struggled running the football last year, that can really make an impact for them and make them like real contenders again. Um, ben Roethlisberger, if he could like continue to do what he needs to do as a quarterback. And then they also... I guess I forgot who their young wide receiver is on that team that they have. I forgot his name, but yeah, um, Steelers, man, they got some pieces, man. And uh, TJ Watt on the defensive end is going to be anchoring that defense. And that's going to be something to behold, man. I just can't wait. Oh, they got Juju Smith Schuster there. Ooh. Oh, Dwayne Hat. Oh, they signed Dwayne Haskins. So, oh, I'm looking at the thing right now. So, yeah, but the congrats to TJ Watt, man. Um, get that money, man. That's what it's all about. Trying to cash in as much as you can. NFL careers are typically the shortest on average careers in all the major sports. So you want to cash in as much as you can. And I wish you nothing but health and success. And continue to kill the game, man. Keep changing the game. Let's go, TJ Watt. Let's go, Steelers. Continue on with NFL news. Mark Andrews, the the tight end, the elite tight end for the Baltimore Ravens, has signed a four-year extension with the Baltimore Ravens for $56 million. Um, ascension happened on Monday. The team announced. Source told ESPN's Jeremy Fowler that the deal is worth fifty-six million dollars, fourteen million per season. That makes Andrews the highest-paid tight end in the league, um, third highest. I mean, excuse me, trailing only George Kittle, fifteen million per season, and Travis Kelsey, fourteen point three million per season, who are considered the two best tight ends in the league. Um, Andrews, who is scheduled to be a free agent at the end of the season, will receive thirty-six point six million dollars in guaranteed money, which is sixty-three percent of his deal. He will be paid twenty-six point six million by March twenty twenty-two. And it was timely that the deal happened on the same day of his birthday when he turned 26. So happy belated birthday, Mark Andrews. Um, he's exactly the type of player we wish to keep as a long or even long term. The Baltimore general manager, Eric DaCosta, said he's competitive, passionate, talented, and a leader. We are so excited to have him in Baltimore for the next five years. Congratulations to Mark and his family. And happy birthday. He was a third-round pick in 2018 and became a favorite target for the superstar quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Since Jackson took over as starting quarterback in the middle of 2018, he has caught Andrews has caught 132 passes from him, which are 34 more than any other Baltimore pass catcher. Over that time, Jackson has recorded 70, a 74 total QB, QBR with Andrews on the field and a 64 QBR with him off the field, according to ESPN stats information. Andrews has 17 touchdowns over the past two seasons to top all tight ends and rank number eight in the NFL overall. He has totaled... 2,105 yards receiving, the fifth most by an NFL tight end in his first three seasons over the past two decades. Only Kittle, 2,945. Rob Gronkowski with 2,663. 
Jimmy Graham with 2,748 and Antonio Gates with 2,454 have produced more in their first three seasons since 2001 in the NFL over the past two decades. Um, Andrews joined offensive tackle Ronnie Stanley, cornerback Marlon Humphrey as Ravens who signed lucrative extensions over the past year. And with Andrews signed, Jackson now, Lamar Jackson, becomes the Baltimore player in line for a long-term deal. Um, Jackson is signed through the 2022 season, but by the end of the season, they should be looking to give him a max extension. Maybe maybe not as much as Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Maybe even more than Josh Allen. We'll see. We'll see what type of seasons Lamar Jackson has. He kind of took a little bit of a step back last season after a unanimous MVP season in his second year, 2019-2020, when he was just lights out. He, he was like an upgraded version of Michael Vick. Like, Lamar Jackson, is a, if he could get his throwing right, he he will be different, but um yeah they better. I'm glad they signed Mark Andrews back because they were dead last in in pass completions, passing yards last season. Dead last in the league, thirty second pass attempts. They were dead last in all of that last season, um and that's probably partially due to as well to Lamar Jackson's inability to be throwing the ball at an elite level. He doesn't throw it like a Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson can or Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. Or Josh Allen. That's why they're usually among the bottom in terms of that. But not just him. Their pass their pass catchers, like their passing attack is not that elite. They don't have the most lethal weapons on their team. And that's why they're considered one of the worst um in the league. They were dead last last season. We'll see what kind of improvement they make this season as they embark on their season this year. But um yeah, um yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen. In terms of their offense, hopefully their receiving crew is much better. Because I want to see Lamar Jackson hopefully get a ring one day. I'm just trying to... I'm looking right now who they open their season up against. Uh, Hold up. Yeah, because the Ravens... Oh, they open up against the... Wait, no, no. Not the Chiefs. September 19th? There's no way they don't open up against the Chiefs. Oh, yep, I guess they do. They open up against the Chiefs September 19th. So we'll see Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes once again. I love those matches. Those are two very exhilarating quarterbacks to watch. Two quarterbacks who kind of really got me into football. Like, I like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. I was watching football semi-ish back then, but now now that I cover sports, I try to watch it more, and also because it's interesting. There's a lot of great young talent in the league, and it's really exciting to watch all these unique players that we have in the league right now, so... Yeah, Mark Andrews is going to be a big, big signing for them, and we'll see what kind of impact he can make this season on the Baltimore Ravens offense. Uh, just quickly, as we finish up with NFL topics, um, Buccaneers beat the Cowboys last night, 31-29. Um, Tommy and Gronky, man. It was Tommy and Gronky. Show Tom Brady and Tyan Romkowski. Played the right where he left off with two touchdowns, or tutties, as they call them. And matching their t- two tutties... <laughs> From Super Bowl LV and Riveting, 39-29 win over the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL kickoff game on Thursday night. Brady had 11-yard third-quarter strike to Gronkowski. And it was their, the pair's duel, the duo, 100-touchdown connection together as a as a duel together. And they hooked up for 100 scores, putting them behind only Peyton Manning and the great Marvin Harrison, 114 respectively, for the most touchdowns connections of all time. Um, Gronkowski stated that Tom made a great call. I think I was actually on a route, and then he checked me into blocking, then checked me into blocking and releasing. I was like, oh, man, he just sees it all on the field. It's impressive. He's been playing for, like, 80 years, so he's seen every defense and every player. 
unlike in the Super Bowl where Tampa Bay's def- defense orchestrated a near shutout of Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buccaneers needed Brady and Kukowski to carry them. The 44-year-old started his 300 career game, threw for 379 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions. With Gronkowski accounting for 90 receiving yards, Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin both eclipsing over 100 yards for themselves as well. He also Brady also orchestrated an 11-yard, 57-yard drive with less than two minutes to go in the fourth quarter to set up the winning field goal from 36 yards out by kicker Ryan Sakup, marking the 40th fourth-quarter comeback of Brady's career. Um, Bruce Arians said of Brady, there was no doubt that we were going to win the game with him. Who is going to make plays? Guys up front did a hell of a job protecting, and guys went and got open. So um, they shut down Zico Elliott pretty much, and they rendered the Cowboys one-dimensional type of offense. The Buccaneers' goal all week, um, they were trying to make it hard for Dak Prescott and make it hard for him to showcase his talent with his talented trio of receivers and Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, and Mark Cooper even though he threw for 403 yards for three touchdowns and, and also one interception. Um, they, they were missing their center and all-pro center, Zach Martin, because of COVID-19, and he has not played in the preseason while covering from ankle and shoulder injuries. So he's a guy, we've been talking about health. The Cowboys, he's one guy who's been injured a lot. Um, so if he was there, it probably would have made a big difference in terms of protecting him. But, um, yeah. Buccaneers made enough timely plays despite the game nearly slipping away late in the fourth. Quarter when Godwin spun his way toward the end of the zone and coughed up and fumbled the ball at the two-yard line. I was listening to the game and watching it while I was doing homework, and I saw I was like, bro, he was right at the end zone. That would have been game over. And he gave them Cowboys at least a chance, breath, and life to win the game and, the, and upset the defending champions. Um, that ended with a 48-yard field goal by Greg Zerline. By Dallas to get the Cowboys 29-28 lead with 1.29 to go. But Godwin redeemed himself with a crucial 24-yard sideline grab with 24 seconds left, setting up the Cubs' kick. Ronkowski contributed catches of 6 and 20 yards on the final drive as well. So, yeah, the Buccaneers, they really they did their thing what they needed to, even though it was looking, looking like it was going to be down to the wire and near the end, like they were slipping away. But they ultimately got their act together, and they saluted, and they sealed the game, excuse me. Um, to start off the season one and zero, um, so that's definitely good. They'll, these two teams, I think, will be seeing each other. I think in week four, if I'm not correct, I don't remember, but I think it was week four. They said on television, in Dallas at Dallas. So we'll see these teams once again in in the coming weeks. And Dak Prescott's gonna be looking for revenge because he said to Tom Brady, "We'll see you. We'll see you again soon." So we'll see what happens next time these two opponents meet. So that's going to do for NFL Topic. Coming back from the break, we're talking about Messi breaking Pele's record. Leila Fernandez, historic run along with Ella something. I forgot her name. And also Derek Jeter getting into the Hall of Fame. But before that, we'll take a quick break and don't go anywhere. Trail by two. Miami needs someone to step up here. Okay, Dwayne. Let's get a nice open shot. No, dog. Just dunk it. Now, now, Dwayne. Kiss it off the glass. Kiss it. Take it in and dunk on him. He's a large man, Dwayne. That dude's a dude. Dunk on him. It's too 
still time for a jump shot. What? Here we go. Don't do it. Lift off, baby. No. Looks like they picked the wrong getaway driver. They'll be paying for this for a long time. They will, but with accident forgiveness. Allstate won't raise your rates just because of an accident, even if it's your fault. Cut! Sonny. Is that good? Line! The desert never lies. Isn't that what I said? Uh, no, you were talking about Allstate and insurance. I just when I. Let's try again. I'm ready back to one. Accident forgiveness from Allstate. Click or call for a quote today. I was again to Lionel Messi, which is kind of ironic because Ronaldo, not too long ago in my last episode, if y'all didn't listen to it yet, you should go listen to it. Um, he broke, he became the all-time men's international scoring leader in soccer. And now Messi, here he comes, like the next week, breaks Brazil legend Pele's South American men's goals record. So Messi, the Argentinian legend, has scored a 79th international career goal for Argentina surpassing South American men's record held by Brazil legend Pele, who's considered the greatest soccer player of all time by the majority of people. Uh, Messi scored all three goals in Argentina's 3-0 win over Bolivia on Thursday in a World Cup qualifying match at the Monumental Stadium in Buenos Aires, giving him two more than Pele, who has 77 career goals in international play, respectively. Messi trails Brazilian duo Marta with 109 and Christian Christian with 96 for the overall record for most goals scored by any South American player at the international level. Um, he's third on the men's list is Messi's Paris Saint-Germain teammate Neymar, who has 69 international goals for Brazil. Um, yeah, man, this is Messi's um, goal that he scored to pass Pele's record. Messi, pass one, Lionel Messi! Magical! And what a goal for the fans back in this stadium to see. He never disappoints. And the fans bowing down to him with less than 15 minutes gone. The touch here through the legs of Hakim. The finish was brilliant. Lionel Messi in a nutshell. Goal number 77 in Argentina colours for one of the greatest of all time. Well, yeah, I couldn't find his uh, short clip of him break the record-breaking goal against uh, over Pele, but I found the first one where he tied him. But here you get a sense of the moment, how big it was, him embracing the moment, mesmerizing it, soaking it all in. And you see the tears, if you if you watch the video, tears and his teammates embracing him and showing him praise for the legend that all the work he puts in. He's literally the Steph Curry of soccer. He doesn't have the as big, strong, big build as a Ronaldo, who's like LeBron when it comes to soccer. But he's crafty, intelligently smart, high IQ, 
and just has all the tricks of the game under his belt that we've probably never seen from any other player in football 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 history. <laughs> yeah, Messi, man, Messi's one of a one of a kind, man, and he just continues to continues to break the mold and continue to break barriers of what greatness is in soccer. Him and Ronaldo continue to push each other. He stated, I was very nervous. I just wanted to enjoy the night. I waited for a long time from this. An emotional mess, he said, after the match, we won the game, and that was the most important thing, and now we can celebrate. Three-time World Cup winner Pele remains in hospital due to surgery for a tumor on his colon on Monday, so I'm praying for Pele. And even though all the eight-year-olds said the operation was a great victory. Um, Messi is 34, year old, 34 years old. He has had a memorable summer, changing clubs from Barcelona to PSG in August and winning his first senior international football title in July. He and La Aba Celeste claimed the Copa America from Brazil in a 1-0 victory at Rio de Janeiro's Marcana Stadium. Ah, it was a unique moment to win the Copa America because of where and how we obtained the title, Messi stated. There was no better way to do it and be able to celebrate the title now. It's incredible. My mother and brothers are here in the stands. They have suffered a lot. I'm very happy. This game came days after Argentina's World Cup qualifying match against Brazil. Their first rematch since the Copa final was controversially suspended. Brazilian health authorities entered the pitch at São Paulo's Corinthians Arena with the game in progress, accused four Argentina players of failing to follow Brazil's COVID-19 protocols for entering the country. Um, with 26 goals in World Cup qualifying matches following his hat-trick against Bolivia, Messi also passes Uruguay. Star um, Luis Suarez, his former teammate in Barcelona, for most among Canamibol players. With eight career goals for his Bolivian Lemon Games, it is Messi's most against a single opponent while donning the Argentina shirt. Messi is also his country's men's all-time leading scorer, having moved past Gabriel Batistuta or something like that, 54 goals in 2016. He's also Argentina's most capped player with Thursday's match against Bolivia, marking his 153rd international appearance. Prior to the Copa America victory, Messi had lost four major finals with Argentina's senior side. They were being by Germany in the 2014 World Cup final, and he lost in the final at Copa America in 07, 2015, and 2016. He had won the Under-20 World Cup in 2005 and an Olympic gold medal with Argentina's Under-23s in 2008. Um, Messi joined PSG over the summer on a shock-free agent move after two decades with Barcelona. Messi had been in Barcelona since 2001, joining the academy the year before. He played 778 games at Barcelona, breaking Xavi Hernandez's appearance record in 2020-21 season. In addition, he scored 672 goals, another club record, helped Barca win, among other trophies, 10 La Liga titles, and the Champions League on four occasions. So Messi's just continuing to break the mold. He surpassed Pelé on the international goal score sheet, and who can who knows what else this the records this man will break, along with Ronaldo. These guys continue to break the mold and raise the standard of greatness in soccer. Man, I feel like I I don't know soccer that well in terms of great players, but I know Pelé, I know Ronaldo, I know Messi, I know Mar Diego Maradona, I know David Beckham, I know um what's his name Neymar, like there's some great great players, man. And these guys just continue to continue to do great things. I know there's a lot of other great players, but those are the names that resonate with me when it comes to soccer. So salute to these guys. Salute to Messi. Breaking Pele's record, that is huge. He's considered the greatest of all time, the Michael Jordan of soccer. So congrats to him. Continue to break the mold. Continue to, man, ruin, continue to do what you do, man.
bring excitement to the game, bring craftiness to the game, and bring a passion to the game. So now let's just quickly let's do some baseball, man. Um, I want to talk about Derek Jeter into the Hall of Fame. Then Vlad Jr. um pass hitting a 40 home run mark, man. But first let's get into Jeter. So Derek Jeter, the captain, um, got inducted to the Hall of Fame this past year. Um, seen months will never come. The New York Yankees great Derek Jeter went to the Hall of Fame on Wednesday with three others in front of a crowd dominated by Yankee colors, logos, and the signature number uniform number two. He also had his great friend, the legend, and the GOAT of basketball, arguably, and Michael Jordan. And he had the Knicks legend, NBA legend as well. Patrick, you were in attendance for Derek Jeter. You know, Derek Jeter, if you guys don't know, he's part of the Jordan brand. He's been part of the brand since 2002, I think, or 2004. I forgot. Around there. But he has his own line called Captain. And that's how him and Jordan are really tight. Jeter stated, it's been a hell of a ride. Jeter said, closing out long overdue afternoon speeches and remembrance. Um, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, and late labor pioneer Marvin Miller were honored alongside Jeter in the career of each provided poignant moments during baseball's first induction ceremony since July 21st of 2019. And, of course, it got canceled last year due to COVID-19. Uh, most of the fans turned out for Jeter, the celebrated captain of the Yankees, who led them to five World Series titles, winning the 2000 World Series MVP. Uh, the most storied franchises in seven pennants and five World Series titles during the 20-year career in which he had 3,465 hits, the sixth highest total in Major League history. Um, after writing out his standing ovation and the familiar Derek Jeter chants from New York's fans spread out along the lawn behind the Clark Sports Complex, he began thanking his family, saying that his father was his first idol. And recounting how as a child, he enjoyed the early love for the Yankees like Mickey Mantle and other legends by playing wiffle ball in the backyard and full pinch strides while imitating former Yankee Dave Winfield as well. Winfield is a Hall of Famer as well. He was sitting on stage behind Derek Jeter. Jeter also stated, quote, whenever everyone asks about nerves, they assume it's because of a speech. What I may say or not say, how many people are in attendance? No, no, no. The nerves are because of these people that are behind me now and all those who are part of the Hall of Fame family. Because the great thing about baseball is its history. That's what makes it so special. Jeter, who has long said the only thing he ever wanted to do in baseball was to play shortstop for the New York Yankees. So, And he said that doing so was one of the greatest honors of his life. He added his goal as a Yankee was to win more than anybody else. And they did, pretty much. <laughs> Five World Series titles. And they three-peated from 98 to 2000. That is unheard of. That is ridiculous. Um, the ceremony began with a bittersweet um, video marking the lives of 10 Hall of Famers who died from COVID-19 over the last 26 months. Um, the, vi um, the video was narrated by Hall of Fame catcher Johnny Bench, excuse me, who was unable to attend after testing positive for COVID-19. 31 Hall of Famers made the trip to Cooperstown to watch the Hall of membership grow to 333. No one was elected during the BBWAA round or voting in 2021, and the era committees were unable to meet because of the pandemic. So the class of 2020 had the 2021 induction all to themselves. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Nobody was voting for 2021. No, um, yeah, but I have an article, ladies and gentlemen, if you get to this point in the show, I have an article on Derek Jeter, on my thoughts on Derek Jeter getting to the Hall of Fame, um, his legendary career. Um, make sure y'all stay tuned for that, because that's definitely, definitely one you don't want to miss. Um. 
I'd have a, I don't know, I don't know when I'm going to drop it. I'll probably drop it Sunday. But um, it's something I, I'm really proud of what I did. I'm not, I'm not really a baseball guy like that, but this is what I had to say on Derek Jeter. Um, I wasn't really a big baseball guy growing up. I'm mostly a basketball guy. And I did like football a little bit, but basketball was the main thing. But this is what I had to say about Derek Jeter. Um, so I'm just going to say like a little bit of it. So wham! Derek Jeter just hit his 3,465th ball at bat. Good for sixth all-time in his historic career to go along with his 260 career home runs. Growing up, I wasn't really a big baseball guy, but one name I always knew, and that was synonymous in New York and in baseball, was Derek Jeter. The way he approached the game, his grace and humility told fans in the media, um, his leadership, and above all, his will to win is what made him such an amazing basketball ambassador for the game, let alone his amazing baseball skills. For us millennials, he defined our childhoods, teenage years, and early 20s. He brought winning to New York, a city that unfortunately had to deal with the pain of the New York Knicks not being able to capture a chip um, during Patrick Ewing's prime years. A New York Giants team that had only one Super Bowl in 07 against the Patriots during his tenure with the Yankees. And a New York Jets team that hasn't won a Super Bowl since 1969 when they were led by the great Jordan Namath, which was just the third Super Bowl in NFL history. He gave us countless moments, memorable moments throughout his illustrious career as a Yankee. And whether that was the Jeffrey Meyer home run, um, the Diamond walk-off, clutch walk-off home run against the Diamondbacks in Game 4 of the World Series 2010 to tie 2-2 or the 2000 World Series MVP when he hit a remarkable point four zero nine with two home runs and RBIs in the series. So yeah, that, that was a little bit what I had to say about Jeter. Um, it wasn't really a big baseball guy. I still got to edit the article a little bit because there were some mishaps I had there. I'll edit that um, later on. But yeah, Derek Jeter, man, um, the captain, Mr. November. He always came up in the clutch in big moments. And he, he just he's one of the greatest New York athletes of all time. And salute to him on an amazing, amazing career. Uh, the team with baseball, our last topic on baseball-wise in this episode. Let's get into Vlad Jr., man. Vlad Guerrero. Man, he is he's doing some amazing things in baseball, bro. So Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays, 20-year-old phenom, um, launched his 40th career home run. He has 40-plus home runs of the season. Um, yeah. Um, in Toronto's 8-0 win at Yankee Stadium. Um, this happened just recently, earlier this week. Not only did he become the youngest Blue Jays hitter to reach 40 homers and one of just 10 in franchise history, but him and his legendary father are now one of just two father-son duels to hit 40 Home runs joining Prince Fielder and Cecile Fielder. Um, Vlad Sr. hit 42 home runs when he was 24 years old with the Montreal Expos and reached a 40 homer plateau once more the next season, totaling 449 in his Hall of Fame career. He, his son, Vlad Jr., has a long way to go to reach that mark, but if he continues on his current pace for like the next decade and stays healthy, the sky's the limit for this kid, man. He's six, he's six two, 250 pounds. He's a freaking tank. I don't know how you run like that in baseball when you run climbing all that way at that height in baseball. Because I'm 6'2", I'm 175, ladies and gentlemen. He has an extra 75 pounds on me. But he is now third in the majors in home runs this season behind Salvador Perez with 41 and Shohei Otani, who's doing some amazing, amazing things in baseball right now. He is transcending the game. Um, baseball had an update on people who are in the leads right now. So I just want to make sure what I'm saying is accurate. So right now, so 23 hours ago, 
home runs. Yeah, Otani has 43, Salvador Perez has 42, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has 41. So, yes, I'm correct right now. I just want to stay and sure I'm accurate. Um, Cecil Fielder reached a 40 homer mark twice in his career. First in 1990 when he clubbed 51. The next year when he hit 44. Both totals led the majors and came during Fielder's seven-year run with the Tigers. Fielder also hit 39 in 1996, which he split between Detroit and the Yankees. Prince Fielder reached the mark twice with the Brewers. He led the NL National League with 50 homers in 07 and then socked 46 in 09. So the son of Cecil Fielder, Prince Fielder, did the same thing, doing amazing things. Um, Bobby and Barry Bonds came just short of joining the club. Barry, the all-time home run king, hit 40 homers in eight of his 22 seasons. But his father, who amassed 332 dingers in his memorable 14-year career, came so close when he hit 39 with the Giants way back in 1973. He also came close again in 1977 when he went deep 37 times. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. hit at least 40 homers seven times in his Hall of Fame career. But his father, who wasn't much of a power um, threat, only hit topping out at 21 home runs in 1986, which he split between the Yankees and the Braves. Um, the Blue Jays are fourth right now in the AL East. Um, they they are yeah they have a 77-62 record. They're behind the Yankees, who are third place, 78-62. The Red Sox, 80 and 62, and the Tampa Bay Rays are 80 and 52, who are definitely a World Series contender. The Blue Jays are 9-1 in their last 10 games, 39-29 at home, and 38-33 on the road. So, yeah, man. Blue Jays, he's definitely doing his thing on the Blue Jays. They're definitely a contender. I think. Um, but Vlad Jr., what he's doing this season is something very, very special in a few players. And what him and his father have done is only one of two duels in MLB history. And I'm sure a lot of father and son duels have played in MLB history more probably than any other sport. So, salute to... The Guerrero family, salute to Vlad Jr. Um, being on his breakout season. This is a season a lot of MLB pundits have been looking for him. He's He was highly hyped. Um, but, yeah, salute to him, and I hope he continues on his embarking on a great, great career, a legendary career. If he continues to improve over the next five to ten years, if he goes on a run for, like, the next decade doing stuff like this, he's on his way to the Hall of Fame. So I hope he continues, stays healthy, continues to work on his game, and continue to strive for greatness. But we're going to take a quick break. Come back, we're going to talk about our last topic, Lila Fernandez. She's doing amazing things, man. And Ella, I forgot her name, but these two young is the first uh, matchup, a first title game among teenagers in tennis, the open era history, I think, in overall. But yeah, come back, we're going to talk about that. So don't go anywhere, and we'll be right back. journey is a short one. If you don't drive a lot, you save 50% when you pay per mile with Allstate. So you pay less when you drive less. You've never been in better hands. Allstate. 
click or call for a quote today. Time to play some baseball. Baseball? Yup. I can do baseball. We can play baseball? I'm in. If we can play anything. Four. I'm in. Seriously. Anything. Put me in, coach. Sign me up, dude. Now, lastly, before we close it out, let's get into some tennis. Emma Raducanu, well, finally, I see her name, and Leila Fernandez continue to rise at the U.S. Open. They're setting up all team and all unseeded final. Emma Raducanu and Leila Fernandez are similar in many ways. They possess inviolable, swift quickness. They have great anticipation. They know how to hit balls low to the ground and redirect them with ease. They don't care how much better known or successful opponents they're going against or they're on the other side and they love the big moment. They seize it. There's more. They're both teenagers. They're both unseated at the U.S. Open. They're both getting loud, um, backing from the crowds, and now they're both Grand Slam finalists. Ryder Cannon is an 18-year-old from Britain who's ranked 150th in the world. And Fernandez is a 19-year-old from Canada who just recently turned 19 last week, who's ranked 73rd took wildly differently past Thursday night to championship match at Flushing Meadows. If you haven't yet, go tune into my little blog where I talk about Naomi Osaka losing. I had a little paragraph talking about Layla Fernandez's amazing run as well. So if you haven't tuned into that yet, make sure you go check out my website. I'll leave it in the link. Um, so definitely go tune into that. Um, but also, getting back to, as I, direct, I digress, um, they'll be back in Arthur Ashe Stadium on Saturday for the first major final between two teams since the 1999 U.S. Open. They had the GOAT and Serena Williams, who was 17, when she defeated Martina Hingis at 18. Um, Raducanu became the first qualifier to reach a Grand Slam final in the professional era by overwhelming 17-seeded Maria Sakari, 6-1 and 6-4, appearing in just her second major tournament. Raducanu won all 18 sets. Um, she has played during her three matches and qualifying rounds and six in the main draw. She stated, I've just been taking care of each day. And before you know it, three weeks later, I'm in the final and I can't believe it. She originally brought her plane ticket to leave New York after qualifying ended, figuring that might be the end of her stay. And wow, look at her now. It comes. There's a lot being said. There's a lot you can accomplish when you believe in yourself and you put your mind to something. When you really put your mind to something. You could, like, there's so much you can accomplish as an individual. Instead, on Thursday, she quickly took a 5-0 lead against Sakari and nothing really changed from there. Sakari earned seven break points in that span. Raducanu got three. The difference? Sakari couldn't convert any while Raducanu took advantage of two chances he had or rather accepted her opponent's generosity on two of them, once on a netted backhand and once on a double fault. By the end, Raducanu made just 17 unforced errors to Sakari, 33, and now is the youngest slam finalist since Maria Sharapova when she won Wimbledon at 17 and 04. Fernandez isn't much older than 
Ronda Canu from Britain. She's a Canadian superstar. Her birthday was Monday, and she made it through a semifinal. She was with momentum swings to edge number two. Arna Sabalenka, 7'6", 4'6", and 6'4". Um, Sakari stated they are both young. They play fearless. Talking about Ronda Canu and Fernandez, and they have nothing to lose playing against us. Ronda Canu agreed with that assessment, saying, being young, there's an element of you do play completely free. Sakari is 26 and Sabalenka are 23. So these two are going to have competition for the next five years to 10 years with these two on the rise. No, for the next 10 to 15 years, as long as these two stay healthy and continue to get better. Um, Each recently made their debuts in Sakari and Sabalenka in a Grand Slam semifinal. Sakari lost in that round at the French Open in June and Sabalenka at Wimbledon in July. Sakari stated how sad she was. She stated how broken she was, how she couldn't make it to her first final once again. But she's positive that she'll her time will come eventually in the near future. Um, Wimbledon was Raducanu's only previous major tournament. She entered from a wild card entry with a ranking outside the top 300 and made it to the fourth round before stopping in the second set because of trouble breathing. Fernandez's best pass showing at a slam was getting to the third round at Roland Garros last year. Thursday, Sabalenka looked in control, claiming 12 of the first 14 points for a 3-0 lead. Just eight minutes had elapsed, and most spectators were yet to reach their seats. Not until later, the 20,000-plus in the stance rally, the fist of law. Fernandez with chance. Let's go, Layla. Let's go. Accompanied by rhythmic clapping. I'm glad that whatever I'm going doing on the court, the fans are loving it, and I'm loving it too, she stated. We'll say it's magical. At the end of the first set, and again the third, it was Sabalenko who let things get away from her. In the last game, she double-faulted twice in a row to set up match point and sailed a forehand long. This, Sabalenko said, is what we call pressure. No matter what seemingly, Fernandez did not feel it. She didn't waver under pressure. This was the left-handed Fernandez's fourth consecutive three-set victory over seeded opponent. First came against number three, Naomi Osaka, the number the 2018 and 2020 U.S. Open champion. Then came the number 16, Angelique Kerber, who was the 2016 champion. That was followed by number five, Alina Savatalina and Sabalenka. There's no limit on what I can do. I'm just glad that right now everything's going well, Fernandez stated. Who could give Canada its second U.S. Open title in three years following Bianca Andrescu's triumph in 2019? Ronda and Fernandez are both citizens of the world. Ronda was born in Toronto to a Chinese mother and Romanian father. Family moved to England when Emma was two. And Fernandez was born in Montreal to a Filipino mother and Ecuadorian father. Family moved to Florida after Leia had success as a junior at age 12. Her dad is also her coach, although he is not with her in New York, instead offering coaching tips and daily phone conversations. And perhaps he told his daughter to let Sabalenka make all the mistakes in the tiebreak because that's what happened at the conclusion of the first set. And Sabalenka went up 2-0 and lost her way. Every point won by Fernandez came courtesy of a miss by Sabalenka. Well, yeah. Um, the way Fernandez and Arakanu are playing, the two young phenom teenagers, they're on their way to, if they continue to do what they're doing and continue to progress, they're on their way to becoming top 10 in the world. They're going to be, their rankings are going to skyrocket. Win, win, lose, draw, whatever. Whoever comes, whoever wins, their ring is going to skyrocket. Even the loser, their ranking is going to skyrocket. I trust and believe it. In the next tournament, at least two are in. They ain't going to be ranked no 150th, number 73, respectively. They ain't going to be ranked in the top 15, top 20, at least. They have to. They beat Naomi Osaka, Leila Fernandez. She is arguably the best in the game right now. But even though she's taking a break. But at her best, she's arguably the best in the game. 
in tennis. There is, period. And she's beat champions. Emma Raducanu, she, her, her resume is not bad either. She's being some well-qualified top woman in the game as well. So these two young phenoms are continuing to do great things in the game of tennis. They're continuing to progress the game. Coco Golf's coming in a few years, ladies and gentlemen. I, I expect her to be doing big things because I remember watching her at 15. She was holding her own against pros at 15. And she's only getting stronger and better and growing. So I expect her to continue to get up these rankings and join these guys at the join these ladies, excuse me, as the next generation of women's tennis. Because they seem to be the next wave of tennis superstars, along with Naomi Osaka. So they're leading the new wave. But um, yeah, it's gonna be a very exciting match. I think the match is tomorrow at 4:20 p.m. on ESPN. So if you guys have a chance to watch it, you should tune in. Tennis is very fun to watch. I enjoy. I don't mind watching tennis as long as it's two very intriguing matchups, two people who know what they're doing and who are really good, like really, really good. And that's what makes me excited to watch it, whether men or women. So tune into that, and best. So um, good luck to both these amazing young um, young women and. Good luck to whoever wins, man. Let's see who wins, and whoever wins, the rank's definitely going to go up, and their reputation. Even Both these women's reputations are definitely going up. Whoever wins, they're going to be considered maybe, can they become the face of tennis? Who who got next? They're definitely going to be on the cover of magazines. Well, that's going to do it, ladies and gentlemen. On a very loaded episode, we talk about major topics, football, baseball, tennis, I didn't even and some basketball Hall of Fame induction. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Catch me on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, you name it, CastBox. Um, shout out the podcast to anybody you know, like sports, and I want to see you grow and get better. Check out my website in the link below on the link of uh, the podcast description or whatever it is. And then check out my YouTube as well. I have a visual version of the basketball segment where I talk about the Hall of Fame inductees. It's only 13, 12 minutes long, so if you have time, tune into that um i'm in my car when i recorded that i don't have the best camera quality so don't try to violate <laughs> so yeah but um yeah i hope you guys enjoyed this episode continue to spread the word on my website and my podcast and my goal to become an nba analyst hopefully it comes true i'm doing everything i can to have no regrets and yeah i hope you guys enjoyed this episode i'll see y'all next time